0: Hey, good morning. My name's Tyler. I'm one of the pastors on staff here. And this morning, uh, we are starting our Advent series, which is called Christmas in Time, A Date with History. And the idea is is that um, we are going to be reviewing different things that have happened throughout history on Christmas, on or around Christmas Day, and talk about the human experience around those things. And then relate them to the themes and the message of Christmas, which is most critical. And uh, Christmas is a—it has a date that it happened. We don't know exact that exact date, but obviously the what happened at Christmas has had a ripple effect that has changed the course of human history. Yes. Yeah. yeah. And so uh, we want to look at how that continues to shape us and change us today. Now, I decided, and you'll see here why in just a little bit, but I wanted to talk about communication a little bit. And I am not... Where's my notes? Whew, here they are. I am not an expert on communication, okay? But I looked it up, and there's about six or seven different components, and I kind of combined them, and this makes kind of common sense, as you'll see this here. But when you look at communication... If you're communicating, and I'm, I'm thinking specifically, there's communication that happens just face-to-face, person-to-person. A lot of times if you have a very important message, right, you go deliver it in person. I want this message delivered in person, right? But a lot of communication, and and you notice the video that we showed earlier, that was done in-house by Jeffrey Key. And if you're interested in helping make videos like that, come talk to me. I'd like to connect you with, with Jeffrey, but we made that ourselves so, John, that means we can put it on the internet. All right, very good. Um, but for any kind of communication, when you're trying to communicate something, obviously you have to have an audience or a recipient. And um, when you communicate, you have to accommodate your message to your audience a little bit, right? So, when you're talking to your puppy dog at home, you go, Do you want it? right? You have to change your message a little bit. We consider our audience when we, when we give a message. But then there's the encoded message and I kind of combine two steps in the communication process. You have to have an idea that you want to communicate but you have to encode that idea in a way that's understandable. So for example, a lot of you probably know what this is. There's probably some of you who don't know what this is. But this represents the language that computers speak. It's called a byte and each one of the zeros and ones is because, in fact, our computers, like our smartphones here, are only as smart as a light switch, on and off. And when computers communicate when, in programs and stuff at the basic level, it, there's a whole string of bytes, there's these zeros and ones that your processor or your CPU just... Goes through and that's it. Uses that information then to create text, to create graphics, to create audio, and all that kind of stuff. But see, it has to be encoded because if we just saw a long list of this kind of stuff, we wouldn't understand it at all. Am I right? I wouldn't. We might not understand it the other way. Either. We don't understand. <laughs> Sometimes we don't understand it the other way, which means that we need better encoding, right? So my point is is that when we communicate an idea, it's very important that we encode it properly so that it can be understood, so that somebody can take it in. And then the seventh step uh, in the communication process that I read was called feedback, but it's that idea that this is how we know the message was understood, that there's a communication feedback, that there's a response from the person who's listening. Does that make sense? Now, I just bring this up because I, I want to I refer back to this as I, as I talk this morning um, and make reference to this as we think about communication and how it happens. So if you look at the history of communication, so I'm going to go here. They say in about 200 B.C., smoke signals were used along the Great Wall of China. So now we're looking at history of communication whereby it's not face-to-face, but I'm, I'm communicating something over space and time to, to somebody who's not there right there with me, okay? And you'll notice as I go through these, there's a few things that make a difference when it comes to communication. One is the speed. How fast does the communication get there, right? Another one is, um, how many people does it get articulated to? How much mass, you know, how many people? get to experience or hear the message whatever it is and the other one is the distance how far can that message be traveled so for example with smoke signals you got to be within eye shot, and you have to be able to understand what the what the smoke means right when it comes up like big plume means lots of hordes are coming over the wall we need help i don't know and hopefully you already have the fire started because if you got to send a signal right so in about 12th century, they started using carrier pigeons. Uh, they sent messages out of Egypt using carrier pigeons. What was great about, Perry, you know, they, you heard about homing pigeons. They would, they would fly to a cage someplace. So in a sense, their audience or their destination of that communication was a place. And you had to hope the right recipient was there to get the message. And this was effective in some ways because uh, pigeons can fly where it's difficult for messages to travel in other ways. And in fact, they even used uh, pair, uh, pigeons in World War Two and World War One, one and two, which is amazing. And so, in the 1440s, right about there, you had the Gutenberg press, and that started a revolution. I mean, and when when science looks at the development. Of humanity and technology and stuff, the Gutenberg press often times come up because before that, of course, books were only things that rich people had. Every book had to be hand copied, and Gutenberg took some techniques from the Chinese and he created the the printing press. And suddenly, uh, right after right after this, about fifty years later, is when um, Martin Luther tacked his ninety five theses. <laughs> Right, and that got distributed. It's the very first thing that went viral. Right, because thousands and thousands of copies were made, and he talked about encoding what they could do because uh, they could take it and they didn't have to just write it out by hand, but they could put it out in different different languages, and it spread all over Europe. Thousands and thousands of copies. It's the first. He was the first, if you will, bestseller, or the first thing that went viral. And without the Gutenberg's printing press, uh, Luther may not not have really made a blip on the screen of history. All right. 1844, Samuel Morris sent his first telegraph message. Here's what was unique about this. This is the first time, and it was from like Washington, D.C., to Maryland... Baltimore, Maryland, and it was almost instantaneous. So you could communicate a message over space and time almost instantly to another. another. Now, the recipient on the other end was just one person who had to write it down and z- disseminate it that way or pass it on to the next telegraph station or whatever it is. That was 1844. December of 1877, the first audio recording made by Thomas Edison. We heard that, or at least him describing it. He encoded a message that people would recognize. He said, Mary Mary had a little lamb whose fleece was white as snow. Apparently that was a big big song at one point. That was like a big deal. But anyway, so we had the very beginning then of recorded audio and visual images, right? Christmas Day, now this is why this part of the day came up. Because Christmas Day, 1990, not that long ago. It's kind of surprising. It's good to have perspective. But the World Wide Web went live. Now, it wasn't the first day of the Internet, but it was the first day you had websites with what they call hyperlinks and things like that that people could access from anywhere. Now, suddenly, from anywhere in the world, if you were connected to the interweb, You could have immediate access to information. First time. 1990. And then 1992 is the first SMS text message sent and it said, Merry Christmas. That's not that long ago. Some of us, uh, some of us, and me included, remember, remember that. So it's amazing and how, and so, what's really remarkable though is if you think about it, each time, like the Gutenberg Press, each time communication took a leap forward, it radically changes the world. And in 1990, when all of a sudden, and and it took a couple years for it to catch on, for the World Wide Web to catch on, but all of a sudden, like I said, you had the ability to access information instantly from anywhere in the world. Anybody here remember the Arab Spring? It was not just a few years ago part of the reason that caught people by surprise is because she had decentralized power, decentralized um, control over the narrative of what was happening. And because of people's cell phones, because of the cell phones and Facebook and, and social media, all of a sudden the people who thought they were in control realized, you know what, we're not in control. So communication has a way of disrupting status quo. It disrupts. So, we're going to look at um, Luke chapter 2. And what I want to encourage us to do, uh, we read this earlier, but what I want to encourage us to do is to put on very fresh eyes. Assume that we're reading it for the very first time. Okay, That we don't have a history of knowing the nativity story and seeing all the pageants and all that kind of stuff okay so we're looking at it fresh and new and what we notice when we read chapter 1 of Luke is that this one who's coming is a big deal in fact even the guy who announces his coming John the Baptist is called prophet of the most high god so this deal this this did big he's a big deal He's going to be sitting on the throne of, of King David, and it's going to be a, a, a dynasty that lasts forever and ever. So this is a big deal. So we begin to read in Luke 2, and what we read right away, I'm just going to read it, it says, In those days, Caesar Augustus, okay, so Caesar Augustus, pretty big deal. In fact, he he's the emperor of the whole, the whole Roman world at that time. So this is a, must be a lead-up. Because this incredible new ruler has come in. It's going to sit on David's throne forever. So we have Caesar Augustus here. He issues a decree. And um, it took place while Quirinius was the governor of Syria, it says in verse 2 there. And so this this we appreciate here that Luke, the writer of the Gospel of Luke, was a doctor and he was into details. And he's cluing us as his reader. And okay, yeah, I remember that. It was the first census when Quirinius was the governor. Not subsequently. So he's narrowing in in time. It's a time and place, and here we go. Everyone went to their own town to register. So Joseph is uh, in the lineage of David, so he goes to Bethlehem. That's where he has to go. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married with him and was expecting a child while they were there. The time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son, she wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger because there was no guest room available for it. Wow. Kind of anticlimactic. All of a sudden, it just happened. I just read the whole na- narrative that we've been watching, you know, all the pomp and circumstance of all of our na- nativity scenes and, and what is, what's the word I'm looking for? I can't even remember it off the top of my head. But it, my point is, this is the only narrative we have of Jesus' birth. In Luke, it's short. It's brief. There's no room at the end, so they're in the, they're in the stable. And uh, there wasn't any place to lay the baby, so we wrapped him in the closet, put him in a manger. <laughs> yeah. the, the, wow. That's really interesting as we read this. Okay, well, let's see what happens next. There are shepherds. okay. Shepherds. Shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them. And as we continue to read, they're afraid they have this angelic presence. And in the, one of the very few places in the whole Bible, you have this whole army of angels showing up, singing praise. And here's the question we ask ourselves with fresh eyes as we look at it. Why the shepherds? Why the shepherds? I mean, why not, why not in, uh, above the Colosseum in Rome? Why not above the temple? Why not when there's people out in the fields, there's, there's hardly anybody there? You know, you can see the angels, they've been practicing their song or what they were going to say, and they read their GPS on their phone because they have instant access to that, Google Maps, and they get there, they go, is this the right place? There's only a couple shepherds here, right? Why shepherds? Heaven gets peeled open. We see this amazing scene where the God of the heavens makes a proclamation through his angels. Just some shepherds. Why? The shepherds in this story, Luke is writing, he's communicating something about the gospel, about who Jesus is. And shepherds represent the common man, people who just get up every day, they go about their business, they eat breakfast, they go to work, but they're doing the ordinary thing. They're out in the fields tending their sheep. Caesar's over in Rome. Caesar Augustus. He doesn't have anything in mind about he he has no regard to the shepherds in the Jordanian or Judean, excuse me, wilderness. But this new king who's coming will peel back heaven and make an announcement to the everyday. Joe Blow, everyday Joe, people like you and I. So Luke's writing to this audience here, and God by his providence in his preserving his word, that we get to actually have it and read it today, we're reminded that God peels back heaven for ordinary Joes like you and I as we identify you know, that, that's a literary thing is that you're, as a reader, you're supposed to identify with somebody in the story. The shepherds are us. As God announces. So, the message was encoded. I imagine that the angels, uh, they said what they said, not in English, right? But maybe it was Aramaic or Hebrew or the common language, the commercial language of the day would have been Greek. But they understood it. And what I want to look at is they had three responses. There were three things that they did as our representatives that we can learn from. Things that we can do. All right? The first thing that they did, I have this on the slides here. said, let's go. Let's go see this thing that happened. Let's go check it out. Now they're invited, so this will be a sign for you. You'll find the baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. So they're invited, but they still have to decide, hey, let's go check this out, right? And my encouragement for us today, as we come into the Christmas season, I don't know what your feeling is about it. Maybe we're thinking about, okay, I have all the lights to hang up, I have to do you know, this, that, the other thing. But I want to encourage us, if you heard nothing else today, the thing I want to encourage us is that let's go and see this thing that happened once again. Let's go see this thing that happened once again. Because if we think we've seen it all, then we don't realize just how big the story is. Because there's a much bigger message that's been encoded a much bigger message that God wants to get across, across. If I read, I'm going to turn there and read real quick from John's Gospel, chapter one. Can't turn the right way. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. So right at the beginning of John's Gospel, he introduces us to the second person of the Trinity. And then down in verse 14 are these words. The Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us. We have seen His glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father full of grace and truth. And I love the message. It's... Um, It's a paraphrase, and I love the way he puts it. Eugene Peterson, the word became flesh and blood and moved into the neighborhood. Right? Emmanuel. Talk about an encoded message. That God wants to reveal himself to us so much that Jesus Christ becomes human, not just for the time that he's on earth, but for eternity. He takes on flesh He becomes human to communicate to us the words, the deeds, the activity of God. So much so that we have these verses. This is like in Hebrews 1. This is the message that the writer of Hebrews was trying to get across to his Jewish readers. He says, In the past, God has spoken to our ancestors through the prophets, at many times and in various places. But in these last days, He has spoken to us God's Word, God has spoken to us by His Son. And it goes on to talk about the Son as the exact representation of His being. In John 14, just above there, Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And His disciples are trying to figure it out. This is at the Last Supper. There's confusion that's going on. And Philip says, look, if you just show us the Father, then we'll believe. Right? Just show us and Jesus replies to him says anyone who has seen me has seen the father because this is the ultimate encoded message to humanity god becomes man the virgin will conceive and give birth to a son this is Matthew 123 uh, quoting Isaiah 714 and and they will call him Emmanuel which means god with us To a Jewish believer, first century, and and the Old Testament Jew, the thing that was so stressed is that there is one God and none other. And that God is so holy and so other. There's such reverence, and that's a good thing. That the idea that God would become human was so mind-boggling. As we read the New Testament, you see the writer's, Struggling with that idea. Paul was persecuting the church because their claim about who Jesus was until Jesus himself showed up on the road to Damascus. God became man. Now I confess, I've been a worship pastor for a really long time. And I love, like a lot of you, I love Christmas lights, I love Christmas carols, I love all that stuff, but there are times when I think to myself, let's see, what's a new and creative way I can do uh, Old Little Town of Bethlehem, yeah. you know? I mean, it's, it's the same song here, and, and if I'm not careful, I can get caught up doing Christmas and not encountering Emmanuel at Christmas time. I mean, how old are some of us? How many Christmases have we been through? Have we seen the whole story? Have we seen everything there is to see? Or do we have just a taste of eternity where forever we're going to marvel at the one who took on human flesh so that he could die in our place and reveal the heart of God to us? The ultimate encoded message. Anybody recognize this phrase from a hymn? Trivia quick time. No? Anybody know the hymn? We sang it last week, although I don't think we sang it the verse I had this phrase, right? So last week we sang crown him with many crowns. And this this phrase has been in my head, ineffably sublime, so much that I had to look it up to make sure I was thinking about it correctly. Anybody want to take a stab at what ineffably or sublime means? Sublime. Hmm? Immaculate. Immaculate? Okay. Well, I have instant access to the internet, so I looked it up. <laughs> sublime of such excellence, grandeur, or beauty as to inspire great admiration or awe. The sublime. But then you add to that ineffable or ineffably. Too great or extreme to be expressed in words. When you put those together, there's this feeling like perceiving beauty that's so difficult to describe, it's almost painful. When's the last time you and I have contemplated Had pondered like Mary did the God man who came, such that we have these feelings that are ineffably sublime. It's the thing our heart really longs for to be called into something bigger than ourselves. We're created in God's image as people who can appreciate beauty, truth, grace, justice, authority. And those things are found in such quantity in Jesus Christ that's ineffably sublime. This phrase actually is used in that hymn to describe his creation. We've had that experience, right? Such beauty. But it's only a reflection of the beauty of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Can I encourage us to be like the shepherds? Let's go and see. Let's go and see Emmanuel once again to ponder it. A little later in his passage, it talks about Mary pondered these things up in her heart. We gauge our imagination. We consider, who is this man? What has God done? That He would take our form, the ultimate encoding, to communicate to us, right? Second thing is they, they spread the good news. Let me read that from. I got to turn back to Luke here real quick. When they had seen him, this is verse 17, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. This is challenging for me. And I wonder how am, am, I, am I being moved by who God is in such a way. And I, I, I was trying to explain this to my family. And I said, I, I want it to leak out or ooze out. And they said, don't use those words, Dad. Don't use those words. I can't think of what other words I should use. You guys got to help me. I got to say something different. But right? I want it it to so so impact who I am. You think the shepherds said, oh, on the way, by the way, we're supposed to tell everybody. They just couldn't help themselves. And we do that individually, but we do that corporately. And we have this, uh, we didn't forget to read it today. Marcy did not forget to read it. I saved it for now. So can we stand and read our mission statement together? This is the part where you get to participate. All right. Here we go. Our mission is to bring Christ's hope, healing, and wholeness to our community and to our world. All right. Go ahead and have a seat. Thank you. But we get to tell people about what we're experiencing. And then finally, uh, they were filled with gratitude to the Lord. And so as we come on the heels of Thanksgiving, that's very appropriate to... It says, the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things that they had heard and seen, which was just as they had been told. So we have this message now, the message about the God who would become a man to reveal the heart of the Father, to fill us with the Holy Spirit. He encoded that message. And now we, in a sense... We get to be encoded message. When I talked about the internet, that it can instantaneously send information all over the world. Well, we, as we go encoded with what we've experienced of God's grace, we can be ready instantly wherever we're at in whatever context we find ourselves to be able to share. The Bible says, always be ready to give a reason for the hope that you have. So we become mer- message bearers. In uh, Corinthians, 2 Corinthians chapter 3-ish, I think it is, Paul's uh, writing to the Corinthian church and about his credentialing and things like that. And, and it sounds like some people have, have thought, well, they're questioning whether or not he's really the real deal or not. And maybe, you know, some people uh, have resumes and whatnot. He goes, You are my resume. Your very heart, your lives are a letter. It's a message to the people around. He said the ministry of the gospel is like a... We can become a letter. We can become encoded, if you will, with a message for the people around us when we've been touched. And when we do that, we come to the communion table and Stephen, I'm going to have you help me here. I'm going to move this out just a little bit. Help me. So, I'm going to continue to read from Luke's Gospel, but at the Lord's Last Supper. And what Jesus did is he took uh, elements in the Passover feast and he used them to communicate a message. He took things that had a certain meaning and he gave a new meaning. As he took the elements of the Passover feast. And as I read this passage, I ask Stephen if he would help us as we prepare for communion today. This is Luke uh, chapter 22, verse 14. It says, When the hour came, Jesus and his apostles reclined at the table. And he said to them, I have eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it again until it finds fulfillment in the kingdom of God. And he took bread and gave thanks and broke it and gave it to them, saying, This is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took After the supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. And Paul adds in his writings whenever we do this, we proclaim, we send a message to each other and to the world about the reality of Jesus' death and his life and resurrection. Thank you. So this message, this communion table, the Lord's table, if you will, um, is for everybody. And all we ask here at Community Covenant Church is that as you come and, and take it, you come acknowledging your need for Jesus Christ, His broken body, His blood spilled for you. It's a table of thanksgiving. We give thanks for what God has done. We marvel. We get caught up in ineffable So, the ineffably sublime. I, in the F, ineffable sublime. Anyway, you get what I'm trying to say. So, we, we invite God to open our hearts to awe and wonder at what He's done for us through the God-Man Jesus Christ. So, as as we take communion after I pray, you can come up and take the cup and the and the cracker. Go ahead and eat the cracker when you're ready, and we'll drink the cup together. Uh, would you join me in prayer? Father in heaven, we thank you today for your message of love communicated to us through Jesus Christ. I pray that this Christmas season, God, that we would be in awe once again of your love for us, demonstrated through the incarnation of Jesus Christ, who took on flesh to pursue us, to reveal your heart to us, or to be our high priest, to offer himself as a sacrifice, to speak to us about our future in heaven, to claim us as his own. So, Lord, in response, we give ourselves to follow Jesus, to being grateful, to being people who share hope with others, the good news. As we taste the juice this morning, as we taste the bread, may we be reminded. Of your death, Lord Jesus. As we taste the sweetness. May it remind us of the sweetness of your grace and mercy for us. We thank you. In Jesus' name. Amen.